Hello and welcome to the HPP podcast. This is your host, Arden Castle, and each week we explore a new topic related to the Health Promotion Practice Journal. Whether it's demystifying publishing, breaking down a new article, or discussing public health-related topics with other editorial board members. We hope you enjoy each week's exploration into health promotion practice. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Jarby Ratner, Booker Marshall, and Derek Little, authors of Strategies to Support LGBTQ Plus Students in High Schools, What Did We Learn in Chicago Public Schools? They're going to help us explore this recent paper, but before we get started, I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves and have them share where they're calling in from. So welcome everyone to the podcast. Thanks for having us, Arden. Yeah, my name is Elizabeth Jarpy Ratner. I use she, her pronouns. I'm a clinical assistant professor here at the University of Illinois at Chicago School of Public Health. I'm in the Health Policy Administration Division, and specifically, I'm also an investigator in the Practice Policy and Prevention Research Center, what we affectionately call the P3RC, here at the School of Public Health. Hi, I'm Booker Marshall. I use they, them pronouns. I'm the LGBTQ plus and sexual health program manager in the Office of Student Health and Wellness at Chicago Public Schools. I've been here for a while. I started back in 2015 and excited to share the work that we've done that's reflected in the paper and some of the work we've been doing since the work of the paper was done. Hi, I'm Derek. I use he or they pronouns and I am the LGBTQ plus support specialist with Chicago Public Schools. I've been in the district for about two years. I'm also excited to share about the work we've been working on here at CPS. Excellent, and we are excited to have you all. And so as we jump in, I want to unpack this paper a little bit. So the paper describes strategies being used in Chicago Public Schools to support LGBTQ plus students and staff. So Booker, can you talk about the context for this work? Sure. So. This work is done out of the central office in Chicago Public Schools, so we disseminate our strategies to the over 600 schools across our district. And back in 2015 or so, the first approach, the first prong of this work that began was professional development for school-based staff. So specifically LGBTQ-specific trainings geared at teachers, school counselors, school administrators, and other roles in the school. We also had policy guidelines supporting transgender and gender non-conforming students at that time. So our policies were already inclusive and in place. So what we needed to do was really develop the capacity building strategies to bring those policies to life, really. And this work was able to be done in part because of funding from a cooperative agreement with the CDC Division of Adolescent and School Health, which continues to fund the bulk of this work today. Awesome. So given that ability for this initiative to be created, Elizabeth, can you tell us more about what's in this paper? What were the findings there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as Booker mentioned, this is all funded through the CDC's Division of Adolescent and School Health. And so we took an opportunity at the close of the grant period from 2013 to 2015 to be able to kind of look at over that time period, sort of what was the progress made on the strategies that were being implemented across the district to support LGBTQ plus youth. And so we paired qualitative data 
together with performance metrics that looked at the proportion of schools that were implementing key strategies. And we did see that the proportion of schools implementing those strategies did increase over time. But importantly, we really wanted to be able to have those conversations, interviews, and focus groups with staff and students to be able to really understand, you know, what are some of the key successes that they have seen in implementing strategies within schools, and what are some of the ongoing needs and ongoing barriers. So we did include in this paper the 55 interviews that we conducted with school staff, as well as four student focus groups that we conducted with 31 students. And some of the big findings that we saw in the paper were really that, first of all, the trainings that the district had in place to train staff about supporting LGBTQ plus young people were really having an influence. Folks really were able to access the policies and guidelines to support trans students who were transitioning at school, for example, and they were able to really utilize some of those strategies. However, we also saw that there was an ongoing need for more staff to be trained. And so students particularly expressed in the focus groups that they saw a need that all staff should be required to have a training. So that was one of the big key findings. As I mentioned, the guidelines to support transgender and gender nonconforming students were reported as really being effectively implemented when a staff member was trained and knowledgeable about the resources in place to be able to implement those guidelines. But there were ongoing practices such as gendered uniforms, gendered spaces, names that were not correctly showing up in some of the IT systems. So there was definitely room to improve there as well. Students were noting that they had received sex ed and that they had, in most cases, received the one lesson that was dedicated to covering LGBTQ plus topics and identities, but students noted that that needed to be fully integrated throughout the whole curriculum. That couldn't just be one standalone lesson. Young people were also reporting that they were really finding huge value in spaces like GSAs, Gender and Sexuality Alliances, clubs specifically designated for LGBTQ young people and their allies, but that there really needed to be more of those spaces and that all schools need to have a GSA. And then finally, one of the biggest findings from the 55 staff interviews was that there are so many staff who took it upon themselves to seek out the training, who are taking it upon themselves within their schools to really support LGBTQ plus young people, but they also feel really isolated. You know, they're sort of doing the work in their schools kind of by themselves or maybe with just one other two people who are trying to do the work. And in many cases, those staff self-disclose to us that they hold LGBTQ plus identities themselves. But again, they really need to feel more supported in the work and have more connectivity across schools so that they can work together. So these were kind of the, the key findings. There was a lot of success that had been experienced during this five-year period, but there was still a lot of opportunity to expand the work and improve the work. Definitely. It sounds like the work that was put in place was successful, but highlighted some places where some more conversations and curricula and community could be built, which is really exciting. So Booker, how did this data and these findings inform your ongoing work? Where did you take these findings? We've done many things with these findings. So I'll start with trainings. That's how we got started. Our training plan has really expanded over the years and 
you know, in part because of the findings from the study, um, from this evaluation. We now have, as of school year 1920, a required webinar on supporting transgender, non-binary, and gender non-conforming students. Prior to that, the trainings were opt-in, so it was very much like self-select staff who wanted to go could go, but now everyone has to take it. So. Uh, <laughs> We've been able to revamp that training based on the evaluation of the training. So we are continuing to iterate that particular offering. We also are constantly updating the way that we give technical assistance to schools and what specifically we're supporting them with based on their needs, often around starting a GSA or a Gender and Sexuality Alliance or supporting a student who's transitioning at school. We also started the IT Affirmed Name Project, which is a project that actually is just now finishing up and has worked to align our student information system and other applications that students and staff use in schools or during the school day to reflect students' affirmed names and gender markers rather than just their legal names. So that's been a, a huge success over the last four years. We've also worked on inclusive curricula resources. So our team also manages sexual health education of the district. So having LGBTQ inclusive sex ed has been a priority, but also working with our Office of Social Sciences and Civic Engagement to work on guidance around LGBTQ inclusive social studies, which is now a mandate in the state of Illinois, which is certainly helpful in getting that work off the ground. We've also promoted the Out for Safe Schools campaign. That's also been since 2015, actually. So there are badges that staff wear to indicate that they're allies for LGBTQ young people. We also have stickers that go to students, and it's essentially a, a marketing campaign for visibility. So it's a, a visible sign and symbol of support in the school. We've also focused in on doing both parent-facing and student-led work. So parent-facing meaning LGBTQ sessions for parents and caregivers at the district so that they can learn about LGBTQ identities. There has been a lot of demand for that. And then youth-led work, including supporting staff who are responding to students' needs to have something like a GSA, a supportive club for LGBTQ students and their allies. So that work has really grown in the last couple of years with the help of Derek. And then which they'll talk about in a second, but we've also just started our first health and wellness youth advisory council as well. So a council comprised of CPS high schoolers to help guide the priorities and decision-making around health and wellness in the district. Awesome. And it sounds like a lot of things came out of this work and continued evolution. And I like this commitment to continuing to change and identify what you can do better. And I wanna dig a little bit deeper. Derek, can you tell us a little bit more about this GSA work? It sounds like it's kind of a pivotal and central piece of this work. Yes, I would love to. So when I was hired at CPS, I learned of CPS's five-year vision to have GSAs in all schools, but 2024, which I thought was so powerful and incredible and a really great intention to have. And I was curious to know who would be doing that work and then I found out that it was me, and which I was very honored and excited by and learned that as well. When I was hired, there were about 50 known GSAs. And since then, I've had the pleasure and opportunity to help nearly 200 schools start GSAs at the district, which has been really amazing and incredible. 
a lot of the work, a lot of the LGBTQ support work in schools is led by supportive staff who, as Elizabeth said earlier, are LGBTQ themselves. So really happy to serve as a point person for folks who are looking for more district-wide support. So in addition to those new GSAs, we established over almost two years ago our GSA Leadership Committee, which is comprised of 15 GSA advisors who support district-wide efforts to making schools more inclusive and affirming of LGBTQ plus students. So we've had two kind of major projects over the past year. The first one was our GSA Summit, which was an inaugural newer event for CPS, and essentially an opportunity for GSA students and advisors and LGBTQ plus staff and allies to come together for an afternoon of student and staff that are workshops, community building and networking, just like a district-wide kind of space to connect and collaborate. And we had such great reviews and feedback from how those events have been. We hosted our second one actually last month. So it's been really incredible to see it evolve and see what, what it's become as well as like our bath and guidance talking to students directly about 40 GSAs about what they want and more gender inclusive bathrooms in the district. We see our GSAs and I think that we root a lot of our work in a very intersectional approach with the understanding of that if we highlight and we center some of the most marginalized students, that being the LGBTQ plus students, that we can really create safe spaces for all folks at CPS. So that GSAs serve as like a really powerful space to make that radical change at CPS and it's been really inspiring and exciting to work with GSA students and also staff. I love that and absolutely it sounds exciting and inspiring that you're doing that work and so fun for you to have identified that need and then find out that that was going to be your job. It must have been an exciting day and I love just that idea of creating that space for advocacy so that you can really talk directly to and with students about what they want to see changed. And with all this growing and learning, I want to turn it back to you all and think about what overall lessons you learned and have gained from this work, maybe in your own practice and the way that you approach perhaps this topic or communities in general. Booker, we can start with you. One of the lessons I've learned from this work is to always center youth voice and get the feedback from the students that the work that I'm doing is impacting directly, get their opinions and their feedback and engage them in the process because without them, you're just (laughs) shooting in the dark. So (laughs) I think another takeaway that maybe was like less expected for me, but maybe I should have (laughs) expected is that LGBTQ people in schools are there. They're there. You know, we're working in schools. Parents and guardians are LGBTQ. Family members of our students are LGBTQ. And I think it's important to note that LGBTQ professionals too, like can make a difference and can be vocal. And and at the same time, it shouldn't be our responsibility necessarily to to only be, be the only ones doing the work. But if there are ways to uplift our LGBTQ adults too in youth-led work, I think that that can be really powerful for young people too, especially out LGBTQ people, especially out trans and non-binary people in school buildings. I think supporting them is, it's just as important as supporting the youth themselves in part because they're serving as role models for our LGBTQ youth in an environment that is not 
always that you can't take for granted is going to be explicitly LGBTQ friendly or inclusive because every school building is different. No, definitely. I agree that that visibility and being able to mirror and demonstrate success as an adult helps empower youth voices and helps them be able to create and advocate for that change. So I definitely agree. And Derek, I want to know a little bit more about what your lessons learned were. Yeah, thank you for that invitation. And this is like my second job out of undergrad and I really have felt myself grow a lot and also have the opportunity to really learn so much from various like aspects of like society in our spaces. So I'm making a similar thing to what Booker was sharing. I, I, as well as many other like adults in like professional settings have conversations about like what needs to happen, how it should happen without considering the opinions of you. And that's not, I don't think it's always been out of malice. I think it's just like sometimes we just feel like there's so little time when things need to happen. And I think that over the past years of what I learned when a school-based staff asked me, like, what kind of support my students? I think my first response is, have you asked them? And the onus should not fall on the students to really advocate for safer schools. More so, I think it is an invitation to really understand where students are coming from and that that student is going through that school every day, presumably, and dealing with a number of different issues based on how unsafe the school may be. So they probably are thinking of ideas, or thinking of ways that the school could improve. And that invitation for the students to share with the staff what they could do, even if they don't know in that moment, like can serve as a reminder that there are safe staff members in the school too. So I think just continuing to like figure out how to root my work and like the things I do and with students and folks who is impacting has been really important for me. Similarly, I think that I used to be a lot more type A before this job, and I was still in some struggles with having patience. <laughs> I was very much just like, this needs to happen right now, immediately. And I think that this role and this working with like, more queer communities has really taught me the role of patience and liberatory work, because when we're dealing with folks who are experiencing trauma, are still like on a daily basis is so important for me to not be reactionary. And I kind of pass that being reactionary, but okay, like, what can we like, why do something right now that like to, to end this? But it's just that could cause more harm and be triggering. Whereas if I like take some time to like think about what I can do immediately and simultaneously brainstorm ways so that I could support a student or staff member in collaboration with a community partner, in collaboration with my team, and be less reactionary. I felt like there had been a lot more progress and has been a lot more love in the work too. So just like reinforcing like that need for patience and like liberatory work and work women dealing with and working with people who are dealing with trauma. And lastly, I think my background is in part in community organizing and it's, it's a bit different because it was focused mostly on activism and rallies and I think that's really important work. And I think it was a, I brought that into this job, which I was excited about, but this work has taught me about a different set of community organizing, which is community, like fulfillment, community, like happiness and just like pleasure. Cause I think that is just like so important as like queer staff, as like people who are supporting queer students and ourselves. Like it's really taxing. I mean, it's really exciting and really fun, but also it can take a lot take a toll on us. And we're like being professional and kind of like that 
white supremacist idea of what that is and just like working nonstop, I don't think that there's enough space to really have enjoyment and pleasure. I've noticed that with the GSA leadership committee, like the times that we hosted like picnics and beach hangouts and happy hours, that makes the work so much more fulfilling because we are friends and we know each other outside of the work too. So just like reinforcing and like just the role of like pleasure and enjoyment and fun in doing this work too. Absolutely. So many good things that you just said there from having the role of GSAs and not having the onus on the students themselves to be advocating, but really just as a place for folks to listen and the importance of patience and understanding that it all takes time, patience with yourself and that self-care piece, as well as patience with those that are in that liberating space. So yeah, really great work. And Elizabeth, what about you? What lessons have you learned? Yeah, thanks. I just kind of building on what Derek was just talking about, you know, that relationship building is just so important. And I think one of the luxuries of the nature of this project has been that we have been able to develop this ongoing partnership between the UIC School of Public Health and CPS over many years now. So I think I might have incorrectly mentioned the terms of the grant that the paper was reporting on, which was actually 2013 to 2018. And so now we're in the second cycle of funding, which began at the end of 2018. And now we're closing out year four. And so moving into the fifth and final year for this current iteration next year. And so that's been nine years that I've been working on this, which is just really I think so important to be able to see how the work can deepen and build on the track record that we have developed and that those relationships, those ongoing relationships really guide the work. And so, you know, definitely again, a shout out to CDC Dash because they set up the nature of the work that way. And also to some of the resources we've been able to pull together here at UIC to be able to supplement the work as well which has been really, really important. I think another thing that has been really important has been not only just serving as an evaluation partner and being able to work together with the team and really like thought partner together and really, you know, be able to let them guide the questions has been really, really important and to be able to help, you know, support the team with the capacity that we bring on the evaluation side. But really, you know, Derek was just mentioning the GSA Leadership Committee. The model that we've been able to move to with that, I think, is really important. And I really want to continue to identify ways that we can expand upon that model. So basically what we've been doing with the GSA Leadership Committee is we on the evaluation side have been providing more of a sort of technical assistance approach where we've been helping them to build their own evaluation skills and their own qualitative data collection and data analysis skills. So it's not only that we're coming in and, you know, in some cases serving as the, you know, sort of external evaluator, but we're also trying to really partner and help build the capacity within the district, within professionals, within the folks doing the work. And so I'm excited to continue to explore how we can continue to do that because I think it's really important. And again, you know, this really thanks to the community that Derek has created with that group and that has allowed us to really, you know, develop that partnership.
And then the last thing that I think that I, that just all of this work really underscores is that it's one thing to have policy, right? I mean, CPS has this amazing sex ed policy. They have the guidelines to support TGNC students. They have the, you know, the dedicated commitment and the five-year vision to have GSAs in all schools. And they have the requirement now of the training for all staff. But it's one thing to have those things codified. It's another thing to actually have, you know, capacity built and to create sustainability and to create the infrastructure. And so I think we just need to continue to pay attention to how we can use evaluation and evaluation data to support that kind of work that, you know, really down deep in the weeds policy implementation work and capacity building work. And we just really need leadership to support that type of work and to invest in that type of work. And I think this is really a success story of what happens when you do that. And, and that has been really exciting for me to be able to be a part of this team, to be able to see that happen. Absolutely. And I love the way you talk about evaluation with such care and joy around it of a positive lens of how can we make this more sustainable? How can we make sure that this stays on folks' radar rather than a more intimidating approach perhaps for evaluation? So I think that that's really, really exciting and it has led to such great work and will continue to lead to such great work. As you said, you're nearing the end of the current funding cycle. So as we wrap up and we've really processed all those lessons learned. I want to open the floor one last time and see if you have any closing thoughts before we wrap up today. I think very briefly that like the idea of, especially right now, I feel like there's so much like, like a rise of homophobic legislature happening in the country and also just some of the actions that the idea of like committing oneself to LGBTQ liberation can be very daunting and scaring and put ourselves and communities at harm. And just want to affirm that there's space and necessity to like rest and that there are people who are advocating and doing this work too. So I invite folks to just like take some moments of deep breathing and just connect as much as they need to and come back to the work when they feel prepared to because there's an entire community of people doing it. And what's most important is that we don't burn ourselves out. And yeah, we're kind to our bodies and this, that's a part of doing this work too. Yes, absolutely. Especially in this violent and tumultuous time Thank you for yeah, acknowledging that and giving us space to take care of ourselves as others fight the good fight. All right, well, thank you all so much for your time and your thoughts and feelings. I really appreciate it. And I'm so excited to see where this goes and how far it's already come. So thank you all so much and have a great rest of your day. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for this opportunity, Arden, to be able to share and lift up this work. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the HPP podcast. If you enjoyed this content, let us know by tagging us or responding to our promotions on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can also find out more about the Health Promotion Practice Journal from Sage or Sophie's websites. All of these links can be found on the podcast website at anchor.fm forward slash health dash promotion dash practice. Take care and have a great day.